This week on The Zone of Truth, Griff and I bring a recap close to the neutral interlude with discussions on the final few episodes, a breakdown of Final Foe, The Grave Knight, and of course, answering some listener questions. I'm your host, Steve, in the studio with your GM and my co-host, Griffin. Roll a will save. You're in The Zone of Truth. back oh yeah baby back again back again back just, again just the two of us an intimate night you and in the I. studio just the two of us it's a late night on a friday we can make it if we try you're bringing a lot of energy for just uh, the two of us for uh you and i just the two of us we don't have anything better to do tonight so we're going to zone of truth it's friday night we should be doing something fun it's friday night <laughs> And the feeling's right. You're punchy today, Griff. I like it. You drinking something fun? You tell me. Yes, I will. Because we're splitting a beer. This is a beer from Brewdog. It's called Twin Town. It's a seasonal release. It is a cocoa marshmallow stout. It's pretty interesting. It's pretty fucking good. I like it. It's light. It's got a light mouth feel for a stout. It's light for a stout, correct. And it seems pretty marshmallow forward, which is a Very little strange. Very marshmallow forward, yeah. But I like that. Sometimes it doesn't work. In this case, it feels like it did. Yeah. You know, you get a lot of cocoa stouts out there. And I think this differentiates itself. Yeah, definitely. You kind of get like the s'moresy flavor. Yeah, I like it a bunch. It's pretty tight. What you been up to, man? Well, let's see. I have been playing a new game on the Nintendo Switch called Shin Megami Tensei Five. Yes, those of you that have talked to me in the Discord probably know that I play these games and I was looking forward to this game, but I didn't play it right when it came out. I had been waiting. I don't really know why. Okay. Uh, Okay. I just hadn't gotten around to picking it up and I picked it up on sale and it's so good. (laughs) The other night I didn't have work the next day and Haley did. So we went to bed at like 10 o'clock and I started playing it in bed as you do with the switch and thought to myself, Oh, I've been, We've been playing this for a little while. It's probably like one in the morning. It's like real late. It's 4.30 in the morning. Oh, my God. Oh, no. (laughs) I've been playing it in bed for six and a half hours. Thank the Lord you didn't have work the next day. (laughs) Jesus. I've screwed myself a couple times this week playing it a little bit too late. And I look down and I'm like, oh, it's one. I'm going to have a terrible day tomorrow. Jeez, Griff, no. (laughs) It's really fun. It's really (laughs) addictive, though. I'm completely unfamiliar. So it's kind of, it's a Japanese RPG, a JRPG. And it's kind of like, you know, me and my monster collector games. I'm all about them, Pokemon, etc. This is a little bit different. You're collecting demons. And Uh the the demons are really cool because they have an alignment system like D&D. So there's uh, light neutral and dark and lawful neutral and chaotic and they fall somewhere on that grid but every monster is connected to some real world creation myth or folklore okay so like rakshasas are in there you have pazuzu like is a thing that you can get Mm -hmm. so it's really cool like all the lore for them is in there as well like the real world lore about them is in there and you can combine demons to form other demons. You can, they call everything a demon, but really like angels are in there. Like you can get different angels. You can get, I think Lilith is like a late level oh, uh, yeah. creature. Friend of the show. Friend of the show. <laughs> Lilith, friend of the show. So it's, it's really interesting from that perspective. And, you know, it's like things have weaknesses and special defenses and you have to learn them and you fight like four versus four. And if you exploit weaknesses, you get like a benefit on your turn and it's turn-based combat. So your classic RPG stuff, you you know, you level up, you you power up, that kind of thing. But I haven't even really scratched the surface of the story, which Mm -hmm. is worrisome because I think I'm like 20 hours in. Ooh, but I'm not too worried because I played other Shin Megami Tensei games. Mm-hmm. It's very choice-based. So like the choices you make in the game, I think there's like eight different endings. And there's, at least in the other ones I've played, there's like an ending that just ends the game 
super early. Oh, like okay. the, the world gets nuked or something and the game's over and you have to start over and you miss the whole end game because you picked a certain number of options. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, I, I never get too concerned if I'm not moving a story fast enough in open world type of game. Like I had this problem, quote unquote problem when I was playing at Halo Infinite a couple weeks ago. I, I've since finished it. But I'd played a few days in a row and realized that I hadn't done the main story in those few days. And I was like, oh, what, Steve, what are you doing? You got to move it forward. And I was like, well, <laughs> I've been having fun. Isn't that, that the point? So, yeah, that rocks, man. But uh, I've been on this kick, man. Lately, fast food companies have been releasing weird shit. And we haven't done a Poseidon's Bounty in a while. Hmm, when this come? <laughs> a long time. So I have two things I want to discuss that I've personally tried. Okay. The first of these is for one week at the beginning of January, Taco Bell released Taco Bell wings. Well, we're going to have to re-record the intro because this is all we're going to talk about for the next 90 minutes. They were bone-in wings. You no. Bone-in wings no, for a fast no, food no, joint. No, no, you no. get five wings per no. order. It came with a spicy ranch sauce, and I shit you not, they were dry rub wings with spicy nacho cheese flavoring. They were breaded, and I was blown away. No, they weren't the good. The fact that they were fast food wings, first off, and Taco Bell wings, these are better than B-dubs. How did I not hear about this? God, Haley went to, went to the Taco Bell, you couldn't get them on the app. Or you couldn't get them, you couldn't get them uh, delivered. You had to do drive through. She got me 15 the first try. I was like, I'm not missing out on this. I'm going to if they're good. I'm getting my fill. Is this like a Columbus test market thing? No, they were widely released, but wow. they were released from January 6th to January 12th. I wouldn't be shocked that they didn't sell a lot and they stopped that. But I'm surprised. I'm shocked. I'm blown away. No, no, no. They, they officially were running them for a week. Okay. All right. So it was a, it was an intended, it was an intended one release. week thing. Okay. Yeah. And you know, good thing. I have my uh, finger to the pulse of all things wings because I'm part of the Columbus wings connoisseur Facebook mm -hmm. group, only 10,000 members. Wow. Yeah. And so I like a third of the city, <laughs> not quite. <laughs> so I know a lot of things about wings and I was informed about this uh, around Christmas time and I was just dying for Christmas and new year's to be over so that we could get to the Taco Bell wings. It was contentious. People were on both sides of the issue saying yeah. they were good or bad. I got them from like the crappy Taco Bell right by the horrible White Castle we get White Castle from mm. in the shittiest part of town. And they were still high quality, really good. So yeah, it's a real hellhole over there. I mean, were they the best wings I've ever had? Absolutely not. But... For fast food wings from a Mexican fast food restaurant, I could not believe how good they were. Yeah, take those expectations down. I mean, it sounds like they weren't the best wings ever, but did they fulfill the promise of the premise? Absolutely. Yeah, there you more, go. More so than I would have thought they would. Wow. And they're better than any fast food wings I've ever had. Mm -hmm. So I really hope they bring them back, honestly. Even if it's for another limited time thing. They'd be great as like Taco Bell's McRib. I was just shocked at how good they were. And then bringing it back around. Well, hold on. Before we move on, I just want to say if you're listening at home and you want to help support us get Taco Bell to re-release those wings for Griffin, make sure you use the hashtag HLP bone in. Yeah, that and probably get that trending and that'll get it to Taco them. Bell will know what's up. <laughs> Go ahead. What's the second thing? So the second thing is Arby's. Has reportedly released. Well, they they had they did this about a week ago too. I don't know how long it's available, but I believe it's still available. Not sure if it's available at the time this releases. They have a Diablo brisket sandwich and a Diablo chicken sandwich that are supposed to be the spiciest sandwich you can get at a fast food restaurant. Mm. So of course I did the responsible thing and ordered both at the same time. Well, yeah, obviously. Because I had to try A versus B, brisket versus chicken. And I'm happy to report the flavor and the spice, while not nearly as spicy as they claim, because I could handle it fine. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I like spicy things, but I'll sweat with spicy yeah. food. It wasn't really killing me. And so while not as spicy as reported, 
had a really nice flavor. It was pretty tasty. Uh, I didn't like the off-putting bright orange that they dyed the buns. Yeah, that was a little, great. little messed up. Uh, I would say that the brisket was better than the chicken. And, and here's here's where I get to my, my issues with the thing. The flavor was the only thing saving either of these sandwiches. With all of the fast food restaurants upping their chicken sandwich game, it feels like Arby's is still in like 2006. Their chicken sandwich is absolute horseshit. Oh no. It's terrible. Oh no. Like soggy patty, thin, mostly breading. What are you doing in this day and age? In this day and age when everyone, when Taco Bell has the best wings I've had in a long time. I could, so I was disappointed by that. I'd say if they're still available, probably go for the brisket. The brisket was fine, but it was like, let's be honest. Arby's brisket is basically Arby's roast beef with a hint of pink in the middle. Yeah, I mean, set your expectations where they should be for a fast food brisket. Right. And that's about where my expectations were. And I think that sandwich was fine, if a bit messy, but the flavor was really good. I wouldn't eat one of their chicken sandwiches again. Wow. I had no idea what you were going to talk about today, and that really brightened up my evening. Well, I had to go on these adventures. You know, I'm hearing about this stuff like mm-hmm. midday, and I'm like, when you hear about something that's only going to be around for a week, I mean, there's a certain amount of planning I have to do before I even jump on that train. So I needed at least two weeks of planning. God bless the person that informed me before Christmas this was going to happen. Because that meant that I could only remind myself on January 7th, a day later than they came out, that I needed to get these things. And what, you had like uh, eight alarms on your phone if you missed the first one, the second one will go off? I should have had some alarms on my phone, realistically. (laughs) (laughs) Well, actually, the thing that happened was we learned that they weren't delivering. So I was going to get them like on the weekend, like the weekend Mm -hmm. that they were out. And when we went to order them, in one of our late night Taco Bell trysts, me and Haley, mm-hmm. uh, we learned they were only available for pickup, not for delivery. And at the witching hour, you got to know most of the HLP crew on the weekend of the witching hour isn't going to be making any uh, any pickups. No one's getting behind the wheel of a car after <laughs> 10 p.m. Not happening. So I had to postpone and then Haley, God bless her, like got some on her way home from work <laughs> the next Monday. <laughs> <laughs> brought them to me and I devoured 15 wings Dear one night. God. And then the, the RV stuff happened kind of on a whim. I saw an ad for it and I was like, well, I don't have anything in the house for lunch. I think this was another. Not to have the hottest fast food no. sandwich on the. two The two hottest fast food sandwiches on the market. Mm, dear Lord. So you could say that I'm something of a strange fast food kind of sort at this point. Sounds like our spinoff show is in the works already. <laughs> the effect that it'll have on my insides is not pleasant. Update to the Patreon at five grand. Bestow Curse stays bi-weekly, and in the off weeks, we review fast food. <laughs> <laughs> at 10 grand, Griffin Steve go full-time just to recover from that, that show. <laughs> Oh yeah, we're not we're not uh we're not producing any more content. <laughs> no more content. We just gotta go full time to digest, mm-hmm. to digest and regret. We need to do another Poseidon's bounty. We gotta bring that back. People have been claiming. I know we we've workshopped us some ideas for it. Poseidon's Nothing that we do. Riptide. Riptide. I, I'm hoping this year they, is the year of the spicy fish sandwich. Hmm. Because I, I'm I'm curious if that'll be something that starts to get released with the mm. wide success of the spicy chicken sandwich interesting i don't know man you gotta think about it this way is the lent crowd going to go for a spicy fish sandwich i think so fish sandwich season is supported by devout christians across america yeah are they are they into spicy food i don't know i I would hope so yeah you never really know there but you gotta think like there's probably a reason the fish sandwich is mostly on every menu, the most bland item that they have. Exactly, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> so I guess there is some backing support for the theory that they wouldn't go spicy. But you think they might have the option. Or you know? somebody would try it. If, if somebody, out of line. They might become king of the sea. This could king be. King of the northern sea. And like, remember when the Popeye chicken sandwich blew up? Yes. It could be that. It could be that. Yes. But for, le- for Christians. There you go. <laughs> All right, I've got a couple of things that I've been checking out in the last couple of weeks that I want to talk about. 
And then, I mean, with all this energy, I got to reciprocate. I'm going to I'm going to drop a huge bombshell on you after this. OK, OK, all that right. again might erase the back half of this episode because it might be all we can talk about. Almost contractually, first off, I have to talk about the book of Boba Fett. What have we done as a Star Wars fandom to deserve quality this good? The show fucking slaps. Like, they get it. Tamura Morrison. Bam. Ming-Na Wen. Bam. It's just so fucking good. I would recommend it to basically anybody that likes Star Wars out there. If you liked Mandalorian, which most of the world does, you should check this out too, because it's fucking awesome. Do you prefer it or The Mandalorian? Oh boy, that is so tough. I thought it would be. That's what I wanted to know. Hmm. You're asking me to choose between my children right now, basically. That's tough. It's real, I, I, here, it's here's Steve's choice. Here's what I'll say. I will answer this question once the book of Boba Fett has concluded. Everybody mark it on your calendars. Yes. Because I don't feel like I can give it a fair shot. I think it does have a fair shot, but right now, I mean, you're talking two full seasons of television versus four episodes. Yeah, that's totally fair. So, I mean, if you can think back, how would you rate the first four episodes of The Mandalorian versus The Book of Boba Fett so far? Ooh, really, really good question again. Okay, so the first four episodes of Mando, you're concluding with the big ATST fight on it was a planet that starts with the letter S. I would give the edge to Boba Fett because early Mando was very, very good, but it was a little episodic for me. I was like, well, how is this all tying together? It was a creature and situation of the week show. Yeah, that's, and then definitely, it started to that's come definitely together. the feel it had at the beginning. That's mm-hmm. why I was kind of curious what you would think. Yeah. So I'll give a slight edge to Boba Fett. But again, we'll see how it develops. I mean, Mando came together in such an incredible, beautiful way for a Star Wars fan that I'm very curious to see where this goes and see how it holds up, how you can compare it. Also, I'm watching a brand new show. People who listen to this show know that I'm a little bit of a connoisseur of the horror television, American Horror Story. I've probably spent about eight hours of airtime talking about that show by now. A good bit. Good and bad. Slasher. All of those different shows. I have started Archive 81 on Netflix. I haven't heard of this one. Yeah, I think it's based on a podcast, actually, which I've never listened to. But it's a story about a man who restores old videotapes. And a rich businessman reaches out to him. And the business is all very hush-hush, and they don't really know what he does. But he basically asks this guy to come to this remote location and transfer 14, 15 tapes to digital and they were damaged in a fire. And it's this kind of parallel narrative of this guy stuck alone in this house, kind of isolated from the world, watching these tapes. And there's a story that's playing out from tape to tape as he restores them. And then the two storylines start to blur in ways that I really can't get to with with fear of spoiling anything from the show. But it is fascinating and very spooky. I really, really like this show. I'm only about four or five episodes deep into it, but I'm going to give it the Strapple Seal of Quality. Ooh. Yeah. Is that a thing that we've used before? Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, totally. <laughs> I'll blindly agree to that. <laughs> it is very, very good. It is scary. It's spooky. It's well acted and directed. I, I would check it out. It's really good. Griff, I think you'd like it. Yeah. And now to what I have teased earlier. This has been something that's been weighing on me for a couple weeks. Uh-oh. Now, there's a lot that I can't disclose right now, but I will tell you what I can. A friend of ours reached out to me a couple weeks ago yeah. via text. I immediately told this person that I needed to get them on the phone as soon as they were available. Mm-hmm. We talked for maybe about 30 minutes. This person knows somebody that works at Miller Coors. Miller Coors brews Ham's beer. Miller Coors also is under contract to brew PBR for PBR because apparently they don't have a brewery right now. I was told I could speak about this on the podcast, but to anonymize my sources, I can talk to you about this after Griffin to tell you you where this came from. According to this person and the person who I talked to said this is very reliable information. PBR and hams are the same recipe. What? Yes. What? Yes. Three years ago, when Miller Coors started producing PBR, they became the same recipe. Now, what this person doesn't know 
is whether it's the original ham's recipe that is being brewed for both beers, or it was that PBR recipe that is now being brewed for both beers. So I'm getting Mandela affected here. I don't know if I like hams or PBR. Hmm. Do you think we could f- we could potentially find an old PBR and try? Yes, but where could we get that? I don't know. We have a network of hundreds of people that listen to this show. Somebody must have, much like we had an mm-hmm. old natural light sitting in the back of the fridge. That's true. Somebody must have a four-year-old PBR. We need a PBR or hams that is at least four years old, just to be sure. Three years, I'm not sure who is brewing, you know? We might have a hams that's that old. Oh, I don't know about that. You don't think? Where would it be? I don't know. Somewhere in the house. That's true. I do stash them around. You do say, yeah, we could, we could go on a... I'll probably have stashed like a 12-pack of ham somewhere in here, like a pack rat. Find like a, about it. The, find the Easter ham. What are your thoughts on that? Are you, I, as sh- are you as shook as I was? I'm very shook, but I'm not surprised. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you why. Because I think it's the ham's recipe. You think so? I think so, because like PBR started to get even more popular several mm. years ago. And I, <laughs> and I mm. think this explains why I like PBR. Yeah, PBR is good. Yeah. And I think it's because it's hams. <laughs> mm. And I think hams is just, why would they replace hams with PBR? I don't like, know, man. <laughs> I'm just thinking like, it's too niche to have noticed. Yeah. Like the hams people only drink hams. They're going to have noticed. There are Facebook groups that I'm in that I I guess now that you're saying that people would be talking. Yeah. But my God, man, what a world we live in. And I don't know that the reverse is true for PBR because it's so much more popular Mm -hmm. that the fan base is much less dedicated to it. That's that's interesting perspective. I'm not saying whether it's right or wrong, but it sounds good. And so I think like there would be enough conflicting reports from people drinking PBR that it would just be like, well, you just got a bad, you know, there would be enough. It's it, the sounding board. It's too big of an echo chamber. Whereas with the hams, it's like what the entire state of like Minnesota, Wisconsin and where else? Hams. Well, yeah, Minnesota, Wisconsin. Chicago, there's hams. There's some hams there. Although there are those who would say that Chicago is an old style town, which is right. mostly true. Then I was drinking a lot of hams when I was down in Bloomington for undergrad. So I don't know, man. This has been weighing on my heart. I've talked to Brooks and Emily a lot about this, but I haven't talked to you about I haven't had an opportunity to talk to you about it yet. And I figured now would be a good time. Yeah, I'm, I'm shocked that yeah. that is out there in the world. But OK, so if it's the PBR recipe, why would they change it to the PBR recipe if the PBR brewery is shut down? Because you have to change all the equipment. The way brewing beer works, you'd have to change, all, like you'd have to I guess sterilize true. and sanitize everything. And at a production brewery like that, you'd have to change the way the production works. I'd also say that we'll take sample beers to try and figure this out. If you can send them to us, if you know somebody who has some old beer, but if somebody also listens to this show and works for either of those companies that can further clarify this. That would be cool, too. Yeah, your source couldn't clarify which is which? Well, I mean, I'm finding out, like, third hand. Okay, fair enough. But apparently very reliable. Friend of a friend. Yeah. Yeah, and I'll tell you who after this. But crazy. Alright, looks like the HLP needs to delve into some corporate espionage to figure out what's going on. Well, this could be the first episode of our fucking tasting show. Figuring out the ham's mystery. <laughs> Figuring out the <laughs> mystery. <laughs> this could be this could be like a ten episode arc. <laughs> a real crime podcast. <laughs> Ruh-ro, Reeve. <laughs> All right. Well, now that I've laid that bombshell out there, and I feel like we have more questions than answers, but are figuring it out. I'm in the lurch. Yeah. You yeah. Mean- I'm, I'm wearing my ham shirt today. I'm wearing a hoodie over it. You can't see, but like, I, I feel this has been for you. weighing for on me. Yeah, this yeah. is a, that's a bombshell to drop and then just, you know, can't clarify it any further. Sorry, mm-hmm. bud. That's what I got. So I just had to get it out there. Let's talk about the neutral interlude. So last time we talked on this show about the neutral interlude, we got through the ritual episode. That's 177. And so now we're just going to take you through those final two episodes. 178 and 179. Talk about how things wrapped up, how things could have gone, and really how this was built. So 
First episode is 178, Violent Night. Quick recap for the beginning. We are starting the episode in Gonop Tall, the domain of O's down in hell, and must defeat his champion to gain an audience or continue on to talk to O's. We had a question from a listener, Demuth. Great dude, sent us beer. Demuth, you got a couple cans of hams laying around, let us know. Yeah, they send it that far. <laughs> but he's asking, could you do a breakdown of the stat block of the episode 178, Grave Knight? And that's exactly what we're going to do, because frankly, even after fighting this guy, I don't feel like I know everything about Grave Knight. So let's talk about it. Griffin, what is this creature? How did you build it? How did he end up here? Dish. Sure. Yeah, I think it makes sense to start by talking about the Grave Knight template. So it's a CR plus two template. Mm hmm. The requirements are that the creature be any evil creature. The Grave Knight's type, when you apply it, changes to undead. You don't recalculate their hit dice, base attack bonus, or saves. They gain dark vision, and they emanate a sacrilegious aura. So they constantly exude an aura of intense evil and negative energy in a 30-foot radius. It functions as a spell desecrate and uses the Grave Knight's armor as an altar to double the effects granted. So the Grave Knight constantly has the benefits of desecrate uh, including bonus hit points etc in addition it hinders channeled positive energy and stops you from summoning positive energy in the area such as through a cleric's channel energy so you have to be out of the radius although lyra is not channeling mm -hmm. but it blocks lay on hands and that kind of stuff then it makes you make a concentration check. It improves the natural armor of the creature by four. Changes all racial hit dice to D8s. Class hit die are unaffected. They gain channel resistance, DR10 magic, immunity to cold electricity, and any additional energy type noted by its ruinous revivication special quality, which I'll get to. And they gain spell resistance equal to its augmented CR plus 11, which <laughs> makes it in the 20s. Mm. So it gains rejuvenation ability, so you can't really kill it. It just rebuilds. Its armor rebuilds its body. It takes a couple days, though, so you're usually fine to kill it and then move on unless it you know, seeks revenge on you. Now, one of the things that I noticed, I didn't look at the stat blocks or anything, but I did read a little bit of the lore. What's really cool with this rejuvenation ability is that you could kill a Grave Knight and take its armor, right? Mm -hmm. And you start wearing that armor because it's probably pretty good. Yep. And the Grave Knight itself starts to reform while you're wearing it. And these little like spore or fungal type tendrils start burrowing into your body. And it would take like a perception check or something to notice that damage that's being done to you. And it can be too late mm -hmm. and then your character can get killed and turned into a grave knight because you wore the armor for too long it's very cool and yeah. a little insidious to throw on a party that doesn't make the knowledge check to figure that out right right i mean usually <laughs> this is a mm -hmm. higher level grave knight but usually you encounter a grave knight relatively mid to late campaign yeah so usually you're gonna have that kind of knowledge to know to not put it on but yeah, that's pretty dangerous if you do, or if you just buy armor, then up being Grave Knight armor. Yeah. They have Channel Destruction, which lets their weapon do energy damage, does a D6 points of damage for every four hit dice the Grave Knight has. This one had quite a few hit dice mm -hmm. because it was a Cyclops and because we'll get to its class levels, but it had nine class levels as well. It's got a devastating blast. So this is the thing I think, you know, it's like spitting out this acid. Three times per day, it can unleash a 30-foot cone of energy as a standard action. This also has to do with its the energy type that you select, in this case, acid. But it deals 2d6 points of damage for every three hit dice the Grave Knight has. Reflex for half. It can control undead, which didn't really come into play here. It has a phantom mount, which also didn't come into play here. But it's got this ruinous revivication. So at the time of its creation, the Grave Knight chooses one of the following energy types. Acid, cold, electricity, fire. This energy type should be relevant to the Grave Knight's life or death, and it influences the effects of its other abilities. So it influences what it's immune to, what that cone does, what its extra weapon damage does. In addition, its ability scores go up. So it gets plus six to strength, plus two intelligence, plus four wisdom, 
plus four charisma, and it has no constitution score because it's undead, so all of its hit points and stuff key off of charisma. Mm -hmm. They gain a racial bonus on a bunch of skills, and they gain improved initiative, mounted combat, ride by attack, and toughness as bonus feats. They're kind of, again, the martial version of a lich. This one in particular, however, was a Cyclops Grave Knight Anti-Paladin Tyrant 9. Oh, my <laughs> lord. It had uh, around 300 hit points. It had a Life Drinker Axe. So that Life Drinker Axe is a plus one great axe that imparts two negative levels for every hit and gives the user a negative level for every hit as well. However, mm-hmm. Undead can't take negative levels, so it was just great to have. Yeah. Oh boy, let's talk about its, <laughs> its anti-paladin stuff. So its cruelties, which I don't think really came up, could make you staggered, it could make you cursed with its touch of corruption, it could make you sickened with its touch of corruption. Its weapon went up to a plus three, so that life drinker went up to a plus three instead of a plus one weapon because of its fiendish boon. So its life drinker was the fiendish boon weapon. It had uh, caused fear, litany of weakness, protection from chaos, invisibility, and iron skin as spells. I think it had iron skin on for the fight and was, I mean, its normal AC was like a 32. And then when you add its special stuff because it had dastard mithril full plate so the dastard quality is like the anti-paladin version of the same thing for the paladin but it allows you to add part of your smite bonus to your ac for your armor Mm. i mean the sucker had a (laughs) plus 23 fortitude save plus 19 will plus 13 reflex but all of that was modified by its like channel energy resistance if it was against channel energy. Speaking about that smite stuff, you got a couple comments on the Discord calling you a bad boy for using that on more than one PC. Yeah, I mean, it's got smite three times per day. Why not use it on all the good PCs? Mm-hmm. So when its smite good was activated, its AC went to 36. And then when it had iron skin on, its AC went up to 40 or thereabouts. I think that iron skin adjusts for its level as well. Had flash of insight like a cyclops does, mm-hmm. which is always great. Had detect good at will, so that's how it was kind of like as it conversed with you guys at the start of the fight, it figured out who was good to smite. Makes sense. <laughs> this was in essence like by Paizo's math, a CR 14. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it was really tough against you guys because its AC was super high. It had a ton of spar resistance. I don't even think I used like its Cornigan Smash. It had really high charisma, so I just threw that on there. Yeah, I don't remember seeing that, so. Yeah, it had Blind Fight, Cleave, Combat Reflexes, Cornigan Smash, Fleet, so it could move a little faster, Great Cleave, Improved Bull Rush, Improved Initiative, Power Attack, obviously, Ride by Attack, Toughness, Shield Proficiency, Simple Weapon Proficiency, so all kinds of goodies, but realistically, this thing sucked because it could smite you guys and hit you at when it was smiting it was jeez oh, plus 31 to hit oh jeez I mean even going up against Ikmer you've got a better than 50-50 shot to hit that with power attack on and Ikmer has maybe the best AC I've seen at that level yeah he's got a 30 strength so just kind of Again, a, a terrifying enemy, which he should have been because he was the last thing you fought, mm-hmm. you know, associated with an infernal duke. But that's kind of, kind of it. I mean, he's a great melee combatant. I really wanted to make something that could go toe to toe with Ikmer and actually hit him, mm-hmm. and that wouldn't be taking a lot of hits from him. Obviously, Durin came in clutch here. I mean, this guy only had like a fourteen touch AC. Yeah, without fast bombs, this is a wildly different combat because I was putting some serious hurt on this guy. Yeah, I think you needed that. Like, you needed to be able to chip away at him because 300 hit points is no joke either. And when you're just willy-nilly throwing out negative levels, Mm -hmm. it could have died from that alone. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he had five negative levels. Yeah. A couple more rounds and someone's in serious, serious trouble. 
All right, so this combat, we've got the Locust Vomit. So this is that, I think, Devastating Blast or whatever it was called, yeah. flavored. I really liked that. We've got Smite Goods going off against Ikmer and Lyra. Lyra pulls some really slick strategic combat where she uses her grace spell, swift action, to not provoke attacks of opportunity, heals Ikmer with, uh, heals with a capital H. Um, I love that spell. Tulia busts out the sonic form. And like you said, Durin's putting up major work against this guy. This is pretty much the last opportunity I had as Durin to deliver a little tiny bit of exposition mid-combat. And I flash back to him at last wall. And the catapults that he's commanding are destroying hordes of orcs and undead that are running at him. I still have plenty, plenty more of his story to unravel, but that'll have to wait for another day. We had a couple moments to heal and defeating this combatant, we had earned the right to talk to O's who beckoned us forward in this forge where weapons are being forged. And as you mentioned, I can't remember if it was on air or the discord, you justified having an ice devil around by having them cool down <laughs> the blades. I like that. That was some really cool imagery. And this is when we move into episode 179, Every O's Has Its Thorns. Now, we recorded these episodes back to back in one night. And frankly, I don't know that anybody around the table knew where 179 was going for a couple different reasons. We knew that this was going to be the last episode of the neutral interlude, but we didn't know if there was another boss left to fight or how this diplomacy situation that we got ourselves into with Sawyer was going to go down. But let's talk about what actually happened here. So we start this discussion with this infernal duke. And our petition is that we need Sawyer to help lead this war effort against the undead. If the Whispering Way has their way, an undead sweep across the globe, well then, who's going to fight each other? It's not going to happen. And Oz is going to be pretty sad down and gone up tall. We learn a little bit of backstory here. We have some explanation about how Portal's been busy. Rags came here for love. We had this chalice soldier who found his way to O's. Appears to be Saw's ancestor, or Saw himself. I wasn't entirely sure on that. But I assumed it was Saw's ancestor who actually got that devilish taint. Which mm -hmm. explains why I had a devil tiefling who's chaotic evil. Yep, there you go. But so... I really like this moment from Emily. She had this really cool argument about love not needing to be a weakness and then just smashes a diplomacy check to prompt Ose to bring forth this Hellboy-esque Sawyer. Another really cool piece of imagery where he, all his tattoos are back, but they're glowing and he has the giant horns. Ose and Sawyer are able to talk a little bit and Sawyer chooses to go back with the party but there's a condition here, and the condition is that upon his death, he's got to return to hell. He also needs to remove the Whispering Way threat from the material plane. We have the line, the past is dead. Great Beartooth callback here. Gotta have one every time. You gotta have one every time. And like I talked about on a previous Zone of Truth, this neutral interlude, I've been channeling so much of their recent album, and that is their lead single from their recent album. It was just a perfect little sting there. And there's a reminder here that Oz not only is a, a god of the forge and of war, but he's also this god or infernal duke of betrayal. And I think we're going to learn a little bit more about that really soon and what that might mean. I think that's kind of setting up how this actually plays out. So party gets together, including Sawyer, and leaves hell. But clearly some time has passed. Griff, are you able to clarify how much time had passed while we were gone? Or is that something the listeners are going to be finding out over the next however many episodes? Just a couple of hours. It okay. wasn't really. It was more to justify what comes up next. And what does come up next? The party smells some confections. Sawyer immediately indicates, okay, Nan Opal's here. He knows who she is. And everybody around the table knows who she is, but maybe not all the characters. And then you got this big reveal. Nana Opal is holding this soul gem that has Anya Savarine inside of it over the lava. There is a dead magma dragon on the ground. Our buddy was slain, clearly. And Nana Opal has this petition. She needs Sawyer to come back with her. And that's the only way that he even has a chance of getting Anya back. So the way that we've been building his character arc, I couldn't see any way out of that. He had to go. That was just my thoughts there. 
But there are some pretty sad goodbyes that happen around the table. And one of them is where Ikmer indicates that there may be an opportunity to make good on Oz's betrayal comment. I loved that scene because it's like classic Brooks to throw in. Like, I feel like it happens a lot when he plays Ikmer. He throws in the like wily Ikmer. Like mm-hmm. he plays him so dumb for such a majority of the time. And then you get moments like this where it's like sheer he brilliance. Actually, he actually knows exactly what he's doing. Yeah. Like he knows exactly what he's talking about. Mm-hmm. Brooks has a way of retaining weird random stuff and bringing it back up later that I've completely forgotten about or discounted. Like the betrayal line could have just been a throwaway line. You have to betray somebody. And Brooks brings it back and reminds me, hey, this might be the way it's kind of intended to play out. Maybe Ost knew a little bit more than he let on or had an indication or had a good guess. But I really like that. So Sawyer's going away. But Griff, I want to talk to you about your prep going into this. I know there was a lot of conversations that happened with Haley off air and away from the rest of the crowd. So can you talk about what those conversations were like? How did you prep her for bringing back Nana Opal? I know Nana Opal was statted up. So was there a version of this where there was a Nana Opal fight right there and right now? There was, but I think to your point, so this goes along with what we discussed the last time we talked about the neutral interlude, mm-hmm. where I've been playing a lot of this kind of close to the chest and seeing what you guys do. Yeah. And when the opportunity was presented to me to leave someone with the magma dragon, I thought to myself, Anya is the perfect person to leave here, mm-hmm. knowing that I would have Nana Opal take advantage of that situation. Yeah, because this is a very, very different situation if Asher is in that right. thing. Sawyer doesn't give a fuck about Elizabeth Asher. Right, and so I set that up once you guys agreed to do that. Then I knew how I wanted the ending to go. I knew how the ending scene would be. And I had enough faith in how you were going to play Saw Mm -hmm. that I didn't even ask you to stat Saw up. Yeah. Full disclosure, in between episodes, I like pulled you aside and I'm like, dude, if there's a final combat and I'm in it, he's still level eight or whatever. What do you want me to do? And you're like, don't worry about it. If it comes to that, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Yep. So I had enough faith that you were going to play him the way you played him, Mm -hmm. that I figured that this was how it was going to go. I had enough faith in that, that I basically, you saw me take Haley aside before the final thing. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this is what you guys are about to see. How are you going to role play that? Mm -hmm. Here's some pointers for how I want Opal to deal with this situation. She is not going to negotiate. So it's either going to be, yes, Saw comes with her, or she drops Anya into the lava and a fight starts. Mm -hmm. So you were ready for a fight? Yeah. Ooh. I think this would have been a TPK. Oh. So she's like CR-17. Okay. So after you guys had taken your lumps Mm -hmm. and were drained, this would have been a pretty easy death sentence. And it could have gone that way. And I think I would have let it go that way. But I really didn't think you weren't going to bite at the opportunity to try and save Anya. So I Mm -hmm. figured I'd see how it would play out. I didn't really have much of an intention of giving you guys my book six Nana Opal Mm -hmm. in this interlude. Yeah. Which you probably figure by the idea that she is that high of a CR. Yeah. Yeah. But... You know, if it came to that, it would come to that. We'd see if you guys could have taken her down. And if you did, I would have just changed up my plans for that part of the book six dungeon that she's in. <laughs> well, so yes, there she was statted and she was like level 15 with the Lich template. I don't really want you to speak to this because you shouldn't, because you may end up giving something away, even though I know you, you wouldn't want to. But what I'm curious about is what the party that goes to face Nana Opal is going to look like. Because if everything goes the way it's going, it could be that like our regular party goes there and then you don't have like that big emotional like Sawyer's there versus the part. Like 
if if Ikmer is there, there's a huge emotional impact. If Ikmer is not there, Sawyer's just a tool that's going to help kill good PCs. I don't know. We'll see. You'll have to, you know, listen to our whole show. Yeah. Find out. But I don't think I've done much that hasn't paid off before. So mm-hmm. that's true. That is very true. That's all I'll say about that. <laughs> well, who knows how it's going to shake out? I don't know. We'll get there in a year, but uh, eh, probably not that long. We'll see. Anyway, we're moving forward through the episode. We're getting quite close to the end here. We return Reg's Maltus phylactery to her. She vows to head back to Ustalov with the party as it seems that she pulled a little heist or something against Nana Opal and knows how to enter her demiplane in Renchurch. Yeah, remember how Nana Opal was being a huge asshole to her and like took over her boat? Yep. And she left her shit in the captain's court. Mm-hmm. And she and Rags Mountain just stumbled into it. As she does. Yeah. So this is like half the Avengers assembling and heading north. Exactly, yeah. This is that scene. This is like the... Or even if you Game of Thrones, this is like when everybody is on the other side of the wall and realizes the White Walkers are there and it's like you have Tormund Giants Bane and Jon Snow, but you also have like Davos and stuff in the show and it's like all of these characters that... Thurin Rook is Davos. Sure. <laughs> all these John, characters that John, weren't... Jon Snow is Ikmer, obviously. Yeah, obviously. But all these characters that weren't necessarily on the same side then join together in the face of a greater threat and instead of moving south, move north. It's happening. So we're headed north. But it's like uh, it's a couple more people to add to that Avengers and Game of Thrones roster because our good buddy Barlow may have destroyed the backbreaker, but did find Jabberjaw and enlisted his help with a whole bunch of pirates. And they're maybe not joining the Prince's Wolves, but allying themselves with them and say, hey, we're going north with you and we're going to go kick some ass. So... Oh, yeah, baby. Main party's going to be looking to the west on the fifth day for Ikmer. Pirate wolves. Pirate wolves. Good guy liches. Yeah. It's going to be wild, man. I'm looking forward to it. But that concludes the neutral interlude. Did it play out how you thought it was going to play out? It did. Yeah. I really enjoyed myself. Like I said, I I wasn't 100% sure how I was going to take it, but Mm -hmm. I think it covered everything I wanted it to. Yeah. It was tight. Yeah, it was pretty fun. It was fun. We should do another. At this point, half the books are going to be an interlude anyway. An interlude from the main story. Fair enough. All right. How about we get into some listener questions? How does that sound? Sure, man. All right. So first question comes from our buddy Eric, 10 Lawn Gnomes. How much did Alestorm songs influence the homebrewing? This is in direct relation to the neutral interlude. Griffin, go for it. You know, Alestorm is my favorite pirate metal band. Of course. So like a decent amount. I mean, it was definitely the mood I was trying to set for like, especially the first half. When you guys are doing pirate boy things. It's a little wild. It's a little crazy. It's a little piratey. That's Hailstorm right there. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the first episode of it is Treasure Chest Party Quest, which is clearly their best work. (laughs) Not their best work, but maybe their newest. (laughs) It sure is. One of those things. We should have had an episode called Mexico. (laughs) One of their other great hits. That's going to be one of the epilogue. <laughs> you know, Rain of Winter goes to Russia. Maybe Neutral Interlude 2 goes to Mexico. Oh, Mexico. <laughs> oh, my God. All right. That's where Dana Opal's plate is. He spoiled it. <laughs> Jesus, this campaign's going off the fucking rails. All right. Next question comes from Fulgrim. This is an accidental question because he posted this question in the wrong channel in the Zone of Truth questions channel. Guess what? We're answering it on the show. Call him out. Any recommendations on which one's next? He lists Record of Ragnarok, Dragon's Dogma, The Promised Neverland, Castlevania, Arcane. This is a bunch of anime on Netflix. I haven't seen any of these shows. Griffin, which one should you watch next? I've only seen Records of Ragnarok, Castlevania, and Arcane. Arcane was really good. I talked about it on here before. Yeah. And I have no League of Legends experience at all. I just thought it was really good. I like the animation style of it. It's certainly not anime. Mm-hmm. It's not quite Pixar, but it's like that kind of animation. Oh, sure. Yeah. Like DreamWorks. Mm-hmm. It, I mean, it was interesting. The characters were cool. So I'd go with that. 
Hell yeah. I've heard the Promised Neverland is sad. <laughs> I guess if that's what you're into. Uh, Maybe I should check that out. Knowing Fulgrim, he probably shouldn't check out something that's sad. <laughs> we love you, buddy. And Record of Ragnarok was, like, ridiculous. It's literally just people from history fighting gods. Hell yeah. So like I said, I haven't seen any of these shows. But if you're on Netflix looking for some anime, Doro Hidoro is unique, super fun, super visceral, and really cool art style. Check that shit out. It's so freaking good. I'm not sure what other animes on Netflix now that I think about it, but Attack on Titan Season 4 has resumed on Hulu, so check that out too. It's fucking fire. I'm almost done with the Water 7 arc of One Piece. It's getting legit. About what episode count are you at? It's pretty pretty deep in there. <laughs> like, I'm just getting like seven, eight hundred or Oh, no, no, no. It's not, certainly not that far. Not that far? Still in like the two, three hundreds, I think. Oh my God. Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's long. It's great. I... I love it so much. It makes me laugh so much. It's definitely one of my favorite animes ever. I want to watch that show, but there, I just can't commit to I it. Just had I just had to. I had to commit to it because on. it's pirates, and you know me. Yeah. And I was like, pirates with powers, of course, yeah. of course. And it's been it. it's been out for so long. Absolutely. We got another question here by North Polar Ho 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 Tart. A little late for that. Jeez, mm, get with the times. Change your username. Does Dingus. does Jabberjaws like long soaks in the bilge, or is he a terrorize a seaside town during a holiday celebration weekend kind of were shark? Ooh, I think this is. I think the second half of the question is a reference to popular movie that you can watch on Amazon Prime called Cruel Jaws. Ah, uh, yes, Cruel Jaws. Cruel Jaws. Yeah, Cruel I think that's what he was Jaws. getting at. Yeah. yeah. That's a question for you. I can't answer this question. Yeah, I think I think he lands somewhere in the middle, right? Because you meet him right away and he's eating a villager. <laughs> right, which lends itself to the back half of the question. Right. But but then he seems like kind of like a lovable oaf. So well, he probably You know who else likes to soak in a bilge? It's Lyra, and they were shipped on the show. Yeah. So Yeah, right between the middle. Yeah, right in the middle. Yeah. There. I think he's got a tough exterior, but once you get to know him, he can jabber on and on. That's right. He's the reason the party got a whole group of werewolves because he came looking for them. When are we going to get the Jabberjaw Barlows? Like, that's what the people want. Oh, yeah. Jabberjaw Barlow Lyra, the life aquatic, the aquatic interlude. We're doing book four of Ruins of Aslan. <laughs> Bro, you, uh, you, you broke Backbreaker, so I feel like I'm entitled to be able to play Barlow. I want Barlow in this situation. Dibs on Barlow. Dibs on Barlow. Obviously, Emily does Lyra. I would say Jabberjaw, if it's not in your hands, is perfect for Brooks. Yeah, that's true. He's kind of a Jabberjaw himself. <laughs> He's kind of a Jabberjaw himself. He's a babbling Brooks. And then we just need a, a fourth aquatic something for Haley to play. Yeah. I don't know if what we're missing. Shouldn't be too difficult. Maybe... Hmm. Wasn't there a screaming tiny undead in a jar in book two in the museum in the Schloss? There, there was. All right, well, there, there you was. go. There it is. We're going to cross that over somehow. Or Haley can simultaneously play like eight of the Ilmarsh villagers. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. <laughs> She's just a squad of Ilmarsh. She gets to use the troop mechanics. <laughs> there's like 12 of them, and by the end of the interlude, there's like three left. <laughs> yeah, but then we can get into the story of how they stop being brains. There you go. Ooh, yeah, brain jar people. Yeah. That's good. That's really good. Okay. Well, that's the aquatic interlude. That's coming. That's kind of a beside his bounty, too. <laughs> hmm, interesting. Lot to think about. <laughs> All right. Final question is from Jason. Hey, at Phrasma Saves. For those of you at home who are not on the Discord, that is my username. Persona Truth, have you considered a fight between the vampires from the Twilight series versus the vampires from the Underworld series? Same question for the werewolves, I guess. Monster Showdown, who wins? Okay, let's start with vampires. So, obviously, Twilight's going to win. And here's why. Think about Underworld. The vampires are quite powerful. They're quite good at what they do, and that's killing lichens. Lichens are werewolves in the underworld. But they can be easily defeated by being in sunlight or just getting their heads chopped off like Victor does at the end of Underworld. Compare and contrast that with 
your friends in the Twilight universe who can be in the sunlight, and most of them have special powers. You have Remy Malek's character in Breaking Dawn Part 2 who can manipulate any type of matter and cracks open the Earth's crust at the end. You have Alice who can see the future. You have Edward who can read people's minds. These are super strong, super fast, probably just if you discount their superpowers, more rawly powerful than the underworld vampires. And then you add all that extra stuff on top of that. It's no contest. And that's not me just being a Twilight fanboy because I am one, but I just don't see it. You've changed, man. I remember what you used to, you used to be an underworld fanboy. I still am. Don't get me wrong. But I mean, the proof's in the pudding. Now you swing Edward more than Celine. I'll have you know that I had an Underworld Evolution poster on the door to my bedroom for damn near 10 years of my yeah. life, adolescence. And then on the 11th year, you tore it down and replaced it with the Twilight poster. <laughs> I love them both. But if we're just talking raw power, I mean, come on. Okay, but inverse there, werewolves, Underworld. Yes. That's where, that's, yes, that is the next part of this. What the Twilight werewolves have going for them is that they can basically talk to each other via telepathy and they have really no hybrid form right so they, they can just turn into big wolves exactly so they can kind of i don't know coordinate squad tactics well but besides that power level i think edge is definitely underworld well, okay so at least yeah like the underworld werewolves are shown one-on-one -on -one being able to kill the vampires yes which already is a feat unto itself and they're nigh indestructible in that like they yeah. they're contained by silver or whatever mm -hmm. but which i don't think i don't yeah i don't is know in the, the twilight the, universe so but I, I just mean, think i just consider. think a hybrid form werewolf is just gonna like tear one of the twilight werewolves in half oh yeah you have like Ray's, who i think that's the character's name in underworld who is just like a hulking badass going up against seth clearwater who's a 13 year old boy like uh-uh buddy like he's well, yeah, because the original the they, they show him. like the original werewolf killing like eight vampires in mm -hmm. in uh underworld too yeah that's correct yeah so they i mean they do have the silver weakness but how much weight can you get there that? like I don't, I don't think that's gonna is there an argument on. to be made for like the power level of a the ancient vampires in underworld which were clearly on a different level than the day-to-day -day vampires and then b the hybrids like michael mm. uh honestly man because like michael wasn't affected by the sun right if i remember correctly that is correct that is correct I still think even if you consider that stuff, that doesn't that still doesn't tip the balance because think about it. Victor is one of the originals and he basically just gets his head chopped off and he's dead. Right, but I think any I think in Twilight too, if any of them got their head chopped off, they died, right? Or is that That's true, but then they also have all of those extra superpowers on top of that. So they have the same weakness. Well, right, but like the Twilight ones well, they don't actually have they have, like... to, they have to get their head chopped off and then burned. Okay, so that's an extra step, but do they innately have flight? No. So like, but the only one that has flight is Marcus. And there's like weird shit because like the, the lichen blood woke him up. So he was special. There's the three people. There was Victor, who is just a, basically a powerful standard vampire who gets killed in a fairly easy way. You have Marcus, who is a, a definitely a special case. And then you have Amelia, who also gets killed by regular lichens in the first movie. Yeah. I think I am more thinking of Marcus then. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah, is a special case kind of like Michael. Yeah. I think Michael toe-to-toes with a lot of the Twilight vampires. Yeah, I, I will certainly because, give you because that. Because that's... that's certainly give you but that. But that, that's a special case where you're basically taking all of the powers and none of the weaknesses. Yes. <laughs> like, oh, silver doesn't really hurt you that much. And mm -hmm. also, sun doesn't really bother you. And also, you have all the strength of a vampire and you can turn into a lycanthrope. So you're god tier. Yeah. Like he kills the original fucking werewolf. Right. Which I think is debatably more powerful than the original vampires. Oh, I, I certainly think he is. Yeah, absolutely. I think I do tend to agree with you on the, especially just given the powers that they have in Twilight, which is 
certainly not a regular vampire thing, mm-hmm. but is canon in the series. Now, in Twilight, because you know more about it than me, mm-hmm. how common... Because there are vampires without the powers, right? Or does every single vampire have a power? I think it's stated that it is not every vampire, but it is disproportionately not true in the movie. Like, right. There are like no vampires in the movies that are not special, which makes sense because mm-hmm. you're going to focus on the Voltari and the Cullen family. Of course. Yes. All special. Yeah. So that's fair. But I mean, even still, like they the sun thing is a big deal. They have powers where the ones from Underworld just don't. All right. All right. So I got to turn you on to something. OK, go ahead. Have you ever watched Vampire Diaries? Tell me more. No, I have not. Because I think you would love it. Okay. <laughs> Tell me about it. It's, I think it's like eight seasons. It's a long running TV show. That'll keep me busy. That feels very similar to Twilight mm-hmm. in both its like kind of campiness and also in theme. But it's like a vampire falling in love with a human. Mm. There are werewolves. Joe Manganiello is the leader of the werewolves. Mm. So like okay. heartthrob. Yeah, there we go. I ain't talking my language. Uh, I forget who the who the main vampire is played by, but it's like if you stretched and detailed Twilight through eight seasons of television, but made it more adult. My God, if I could be so lucky to have eight seasons of Twilight television, give it a try. Give it a try. It's it's set in the South, so it's Ooh, it's like I like that. It's uh, it's set in Louisiana. Mm. Cajun vampires. Yes. I like that. Very much so Cajun vampires. Hmm. And I think the main character fought in the Revolutionary War. I think the main vampire. So that's the thing Hmm. you love about Jasper. Oh, that's the Civil War, but yeah. Civil War, yes. That's that's what I mean. Civil War. Oh, yeah, I do like that about Jasper. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. I just set you up. Yeah, you know what? I'm going to see where I can find that. I don't know what it's on. It used to be on like... I thought it was on HBO or something. I'm not sure yeah, what it's let's, on. Let's see. I'm going to Google this. This is good radio. All right. Where can I find the Vampire Diaries? There we go. American Diaries. Holy shit. It's on Netflix. Is it? Which I have. Let me make sure it's the right show because there's a couple. 2009, eight season drama. Oh, that's absolutely. Hell yeah. <laughs> If anybody was wondering what I'm doing tonight. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, so, so, <laughs> so you have to be ready for this. Oh, you have to be ready no. For this. The main character's name is Sookie. I like that. <laughs> and, and Griffin, if this pans out, <laughs> there are four spinoffs. I didn't know that. The Originals, Legacies, The Vampire Diaries, A Darker Truth, The Originals, The Awakening. Oh, man, this might just be my next decade. And I think there's Wear Cats, too, in it. Mm. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Trapped in adolescent bodies. Sounds familiar. Feuding vampire brothers Stefan and Damon vie for the affection of captivating teenager Elena. This oh, wait, sounds wait, wait. very This familiar. is not the same one. This is not the same one, though. What? It's not the same thing. What do you mean it's not the same it's thing? It's not the same thing. Hold on. What am I thinking of? Fuck. Are you thinking about True Blood? I think I am thinking of True Blood. True Blood is in the South. <laughs> oh, well. What the fuck is True Blood? Where's that? HBO Max. Okay. Yes. Ooh, and Hulu with a premium subscription. That's the one I'm thinking okay. of. It's True Blood. Yes, you're right. Because small town, Louisiana, yeah, Waitress, Sookie, Sookie, Sookie Stackhouse. Yeah. Sookie Stackhouse. Yes. Fuck, that's good. Uh, although you could try Vampire Diaries. I don't know why no. I thought it was Vampire. Probably because they're all fucking vampire shows. Yeah, you know what? I'm, I'm probably going to try both. Okay. <laughs> it is the funniest fucking thing with this, like... Civil War vampires like Suki. <laughs> it's great. And it's got um the redhead from Daredevil in it. Oh, okay. She's one of the vampires. Are you sure you want to turn me on to this? Because people give you shit for turning me on to Twilight. I'm just trying to I mean I'm, 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 I'm good else. for it. I'm good for it. But. I'm trying to wean you into other territories. Let's see how I can only do it through other romance vampire shows. We'll give it a shot and see how it goes. Yeah, True Blood first. And then you can try Vampire Diaries and tell me if it's any good. I haven't seen that one. Well, you want to give me your HBO Max password? You'd probably figure that out. (laughs) I can enable this. I'll go on record. All right, cool. 
we got to get to the end of this episode. We're wrapping things up. I only have one thing that I wanted to do in our little housekeeping here. And that's mentioned that if you listen to our Patreon exclusive show, Link Legacy podcast, where we run through different classic Pathfinder modules, rotating GMs, rotating casts here. We are wrapping up season three. That is the realm of the Fell Knight Queen. Haley's running it. It's so much freaking fun. We have a Discord chat about it and people just light up every time we drop an episode because it truly is a blast. But all good things must come to an end and that's wrapping up very soon. We, I think we only have one episode left to record and then it will be done. Yeah, I think at the time this comes out, we've been told episode 14 is the last one. Yes. So we'll see if that pans out. So what that means is we're about to start up season four, which is malevolence. This was mentioned on the last Zone of Truth. Chris is going to be running it. You got Haley, Emily, myself, and you, Griffin, in the player seats. Going to be playing 2E. It's going to be big. It's going to be awesome. But I want to talk a little bit about the release strategy. This is a little, little teaser for the folks who maybe haven't signed up for the Patreon, haven't checked this out yet. What we're going to be doing is dropping the first episode on the Bestow Curse feed. So you already are listening to Bestow Curse. You already are familiar with 2E and, and love what we're doing with it, hopefully. But well, you're going to see a little bit more of that. And if you like what you listen to in that first episode, come check us out on Patreon and you'll get the rest of the module. It's going to be really fun. And yeah. then you'll be able to listen to that catalog, too. Yeah, we're planning on dropping the first episode for everybody and the second episode concurrently. So if you're mm-hmm. a patron, you'll get two for one. And then we'll go from there. Yeah, that's value. Yeah, it's value. Two, two episodes for the... the pr- and the rest of the Link Legacy catalog. <laughs> 40 episodes for the price of $5 a month. That's not too bad. That is not too bad. But yeah, so we've talked about our characters. I know Haley and Emily are going to bring some really cool stuff to you. I'm so stoked. It's going to be great. If you're listening to Bestow Curse, and whether or not you are subscribed to the Patreon, just check out the first episode. See what you think. And if you like what you listen to, then you're going to have a blast listening to the rest of it. I guarantee it. That gets a strapple seal of approval. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Prestigious award. Absolutely. That's going to be a thing now. So along with all the other things that I make up on this show, I just immediately forget about. (laughs) What kind of seal of approval does that have? I don't fucking know. I don't fucking know. What are you talking about? Well, Griffin, I think that's about it. It's time to sign off and call it a night. You succeeded your will save. You made it on his own truth. Nice. I did it. Anything you wanted to say to the people at home before we wrap up? Finish your drinks. We'll see you in two weeks. Later. Later.